I've told you this before, but many people walk into the new year with uh, fresh vision and passion and goals and plan, and I am for all of that. By the way, I'm not against any New Year's resolutions. I think any opportunity for us to grow and change uh, and do better and be more, I'm for that. I know I used to be one of those that would talk down about New Year's resolutions and you don't need a New Year's resolution, you just need to keep doing what you're supposed to do. And <laughs> you know that sounds really cool and the cynic in me loves that stuff. But I have realized that whenever I put down an opportunity for growth and development, that's not a positive thing. And so whatever it is that provokes us to say um, there's newness of life available, I'm for that. I just, I just am. You don't have to agree with me, but this is just where, where I'm at. And I know that a lot of people start their year thinking, man, everything's going to be new. I can tell you that because me and my, son, my youngest son went into Planet Fitness yesterday and it was thrice full. And my son, because we go about four times um, a week, he looked over at me and he said, the new year. That's all he said. We're on the elliptical and he goes, the new year. And I said, shh. Because I'm glad that it was three times larger than it normally is. But um, it's true. We start out and we think, man, we're going to do it. We're going to kill it. But I, w- I want to encourage you towards something. And this is actually my practice something I want to put in front of you, and I have told you before, I start January as a month of evaluation, and I need an entire month to evaluate myself. Where am I? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? Where am I going? What is God saying? And, and I think that I have learned to embrace and appreciate, appreciate evaluation because of what it brings to my life. See, here's the reality is when you start to look at yourself, when you look in the mirror long enough and an honest look, you really look at all of the things that are true about you right now, you, you come to find out a number of things is that, is that you're not where you would like to be. Amen? You're not sometimes where you think you are. And here's the truth is that you can't grow from where you want to be. You can't grow from where you think you are. You can only grow from where you actually are. And so evaluation is powerful in that it gives us the truth about where we are. And there's a positive in that is that God can then use that honesty and start to help us take the right steps from where we actually are. And another thing that I've learned about evaluating my life and I'd say this before God, evaluating your life before God, is that sometimes I find out that I'm following my will instead of God's will. And there are points that I have learned that I don't even like to ask the Lord a question, but I wouldn't admit that to you, although I am this morning. It's not something that I'm, I'm, I'm cognizantly aware of, that I am somehow avoiding what God wants. That's not true. But when you stop long enough and you stop squirming, and you look honestly, you realize, you know what? I am avoiding some stuff. I am pursuing my own will and my own intentions, and you see it for what, for what it is. And that's why I start my, my year the way that I do. And so I knew I was going to talk about this because surrender kept coming up, and you cannot grow deeper in the Lord without more surrender to the Lord. You cannot. I took a walk And I asked the Lord, in what way am I not surrendered to you? That's a dangerous question. I didn't hear him say anything to me for about 20 minutes, 
But something popped into my mind as I continued on, on this walk. Now, if you go on a walk and you ask the Lord that question, it might be a longer walk than you want. <laughs> it might, you, might, you might end up walking an entire day, but it, does, it doesn't matter. I asked the Lord this question, and without going into the answer, what came into my mind was something that I had not considered. And it was like the Spirit of God was saying to me, you have not trusted me in this area. And, and I thought, I, yes, I have. Like, I didn't, wouldn't say that, but I'm like, I have trusted God in this area. But you know, the reality was, is the longer I thought about it, the more I realized I have not prayed about this area in my life. And if I have not submitted it to God and I have not prayed about it, I haven't yielded it to him, am I really, am I really surrendered to him? Because the truth is, is if I pray about it and I give it to God, he might say something about it that is totally different than what I'm thinking. And so it was in this the Lord showed me, I want you to surrender even more. And that's, that's the reality for all of us, I believe. To surrender means this. It means that we yield ourselves and all that we are to the power and plan of another. This word typically is used where one person gives up to another, which means or equals defeat. But biblical, the biblical concept of surrendering to God means we give ourselves over to him for greater fruitfulness and victory. Surrendering to God is actually victory because he's doing things and he's able to do things that we can't do. And we're following him, he's not following us. And that's why evaluation can be so powerful. And I, I wanna share a passage with you, Romans chapter 12, verse one and two, that I think helps us to understand what biblical surrender looks like. The Apostle Paul gives some insight into this. And so we'll start here, Romans 12, just two verses today. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, some translations say to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church to establish a strong foundation of the gospel. And he goes to great length to talk about a number of, of theological topics where we derive an incredible amount of our theology from today. He talks about sin and salvation, justification, sanctification, and, and a whole lot more. In chapter 9 to 11, which precedes the few verses that we're reading, you'll notice in chapter 12, verse 1, he says, therefore. Why is it there and what is it for? So what is he talking about before he makes the comments that we're studying? In chapter 9 to 11, he's talking about how God chose the nation of Israel, set them apart, and it was in them that they were given the task, the purpose to bring forth the law, the temple, the priesthood, and carry that and establish it in a way where the Messiah would come forth from their line. They had a very serious purpose. And at the end of chapter 11, he's speaking to Gentiles and he's saying that because some of them do not believe, do not be puffed up with pride because it is because of them that they established the first covenant, brought forth Jesus who brings the new covenant and that you could be grafted in. So he's saying, don't be prideful, be grateful, pray for Israel because you, by the mercy of God, have been grafted in. So this is why the Apostle Paul literally says, I urge you in light of God's great mercy. 
And so for the Gentile, he's calibrating their hearts, saying, you need to be grateful and thankful for all that God has done and all those that God has used. But in light of that, you need to surrender your life. And he says there's three things that will help you to do that. The first is present yourself to God. The second is resist the ways of the world, because if we don't resist the ways of the world, then we will give ourselves or surrender ourselves to something else. And then he says, if you want to stay surrendered, renew your mind. And so those are the three things that we're going to focus on today. And Paul says, if you do these things, in verse 2, you will be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. If you do this, then you will be able to discern and walk in this. And everybody in this room wants to walk in the will of God. That's the truth for all of us. There's something inside of us. The spirit of God is leading us to that. And so I think Paul gives us, gives us some help here today talking about surrender. The first point, we present ourselves to God daily. Present your bodies a living, holy, set-apart sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Now, we know that Jesus is the sacrifice for our sins. Paul is not talking about us being a sacrifice or atonement for our own sins. Jesus already paid a price for us. He's now saying our response to what Jesus paid for, our worship in a response to what Jesus has done, is that we offer ourselves to God without reservation. This is what he's talking about. You are to be a living and holy sacrifice a living sacrifice, present yourselves. You put yourself on the altar and you're living so you can crawl off the altar, but you stay there and you choose to stay there. You're a living sacrifice. As we present ourselves to God, this is our spiritual act of worship. You know, in the Greek language, it's funny because it says it a little different. That's why your translations might read something other. When you read this, it actually means this is your reasonable act of worship. And some translations, you know, the, the much more modern ones say, it just makes sense that you would give your life because he gave his life. Friends, there's no payment for our sins. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God. We can't boast. But what do we do in light of the grace that God has given? What response do we give? We give back to him what he gave to us. We give him our entire life. When the Bible talks about you and I responding to God. It says that we repent from our sin, and that's our attachment to and our following of our self-willed ways or worse. We repent from that. We turn to him and we decide to put our life in his hands and follow him wherever he goes and whatever he says. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to be saved. It's to lay hold of all that God has offered. We don't pay him back, but we give our life to him in response to what he's already done. And so the question could be this, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And here's what I would say to you. God wants everything about you. He doesn't want your foot and your hand and your eyeball. He wants everything that you are everything. And so that's why if we're not fully surrendered, we're always going to feel uncomfortable. 
You cannot be a comfortable Christian if you give part of yourself to something else. You withhold, purposely withhold. We're not talking about whether or not you have imperfection. Jesus is the one that is perfecting us. We're talking about whether or not we're withholding from God. Is there parts of our life that we're keeping back? Lord, you can have uh, my sin because <laughs> I want your forgiveness, but I don't know if you can have all of my future. I don't know if you can have my business. I don't know if you can have my marriage. I don't know if you can have my children. I don't know if you can have my finances. I don't know if you can have my anxiety. I don't know if you can have, I don't know if you can have all of the things of my life. But what the Bible teaches is that we present our bodies, which means our entire self to God. That's the call. That's what surrender looks like. And it means our control. It means our rights. It means our goals, our possession, our future, because we belong to Jesus. Don't you love that we just dedicated young Henry today? And what we said is you belong to Jesus. But here's the deal. We meant it. His parents meant it. He belongs to Jesus. Now, Henry won't know that for a long time, what all that means. But this is the truth. We dedicated him to God fully and completely. Not a part of him, not some of him, but all of him. And that is the truth for all of us. So we wake up in the morning and we say this, Lord, I belong to you. Lead me by the Holy Spirit. Help me to hear your voice and obey whatever you say. Friends, that's what surrender looks like. Sometimes we think it's a one and done. You give your life to Jesus. And that's part of what I think can affect us when we talk about surrender, you could be responding and say, Ben, I've given my life to Jesus. But see, that can be a misunderstanding. When we come to Christ and we give him our life initially, that's a commitment to him to follow. But then every day we wake up and we freshly surrender to him. This is what we ought to do. This is what we must do. It's daily surrender. It's not just one and done. And so we can't assume that everything that we are is submitted and surrendered to the Lord. And there are times where you find out if you're willing to ask, if you're willing to seek, that there are places in our heart that are not surrendered to the Lord. And sometimes we fool ourselves by thinking that that's the case. If you're a married person and you ask them, is there anything that I could be doing that would serve you as a spouse? If they pause, they are not pausing because there's nothing to say. They're pausing because they don't know how to say it. <laughs> they're pausing and they're not going to admit it to you right now. They're going to be like, no, he, pastor doesn't know what he's talking about. He does not know what he's talking about at all. No, I do actually. This I know. Okay. They pause because they don't know how to put all that they would say into a little package with a bow on it. They don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do that, okay? Now, I've got nothing to say about my wife. She, you know, she's got a website for me, though. <laughs> Amen. But I, I would recommend that we would approach the Lord not as if he's mad at us, he's not angry at us, he loves us, but every good father and every good mother wants improvement, wants the best for their kids, and to not see that in the Lord is to misunderstand his intention in our life. His intention is to bring us all the way to his fullness. And so if we ever feel uncomfortable with that, we've got to let that uncomfort go and realize that it's really that yieldedness that causes that discomfort to go away. As we yield, we find fruitfulness on the other side. As we yield, we find joy on the other side. But it's when we're not yielding, we find a discomfort that will not go away. I don't know if you're encouraged today, but let me, 
Let me remind you of how Jesus taught this in Luke 9.23. It's not on your notes, but I'll just share it. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. Jesus meant these words. He said them in advance because of what was going to transpire in the life of the disciples. And these words matter to us because he's teaching you need to deny, take up, die, and follow. It's death that brings life. It's counterintuitive, but it's death that brings life. When we die to self, when we die to the flesh, that is when we find the life of Christ flowing through us. And it's unfortunate that a lot of Western, a lot of modern Christianity is focused on us entirely. It's focused on what we get out of everything and what God's giving to us. There's a part of that that's real. And that's why it's, uh, that's why it's of interest to us because we know that God sets his love and affection on us. But this whole thing is not about us. This is about the glory of God. This is about Jesus as the king. He's the rightful one that sits on the throne. And so in our maturity, as we continue to grow in the Lord, it isn't about us getting something. It isn't about what we get out of it. It isn't just about feeling better. It's about the glorification of Christ. It's about Jesus being known. It's about Jesus being honored and glorified because I promise you that when we get to heaven, there will be nobody else sitting on the throne that people are worshiping but him. And so in this life, friends, we have to understand that as we present our whole selves to God, this is what surrender looks like. At at times we say things like, Lord, I want more of you in, in my life. But the truth is we cannot experience more of God in our life without giving up more of ourselves. That prayer, I want more of you in my life, has to be accompanied with a commitment that I'm willing to empty myself if that's what's necessary to have more of you, more of your power, more of your love, more of your affection, more revelation, more understanding, more of the word inside. You can't have more. We're already full. You got to empty yourself so that you can have more of him. Sometimes people say, well, you have everything you need in Christ, You already have it. That's true, but it doesn't mean that it's operative in your life. It doesn't mean that we're walking in it. It doesn't mean that we're expressing that fullness. It's not necessarily happening. How do we do that? We yield more to more of him. That's, That's how we do that. Leonard Ravenhill said, everyone wants to be clothed with power, but nobody wants to be stripped of self. Just say, ouch. (laughs) Yeah, not everybody liked him while he was alive preaching. Everybody loves him now. Isn't that how it is? Sometimes the voices that we, that make us uncomfortable can often be, not always, but can often be the voice that we need to hear because our flesh screams. Our flesh screams against change, growth, and dying to self. That's why I love that Jesus used the term die. You die to self. You feel that in your flesh when you die. One day, um, now, I just wanted to make this comment as we're talking about presenting your bodies to the Lord, your whole self, is that God does not ask something from you that he hasn't already given to you. The enemy wants to cloud this truth. God does not ask something from you that he hasn't already given to you. One day, I brought one of my kids to Trader Joe's. Now, I'll leave the name of that kid out to protect the guilty. And they're not in this service, so I feel quite comfortable. I'm just going to go off. But I brought one of my kids to Trader Joe's. Now, in our home, 75% are vegan and 25% are, I'm everything else. <laughs> and that's cool. You know, they, sometimes I 
come over to the dark side and, and, uh, and, I, and I eat. Sorry if you're vegan. <laughs> My whole family is. Pray for me. Um, so it's the only expression I get to say anything, and the services are not in. But, but they, when they get a treat, they eat like dark chocolate that tastes a lot like dirt to me. You know, like <laughs> when, when, you, when, and it sounds funny, but like when you're accustomed to like high sugar content, some of you have made that adjustment. You're like, what are you talking about? That's so messed up. You would even say like to you, it's such a treat. But when I eat it, I'm, they're like, how, what do you think of that? And I'm like, it, I think, I think it's not good. That's what I, that's what I think. So I went to Trader Joe's and I bought them uh, the, the chocolate bar, and, and you can buy the one that's this size, but for a dollar more, you can, you can get the Gigantor, right? And, and in, our, in our home, that doesn't mean you eat the whole thing in one spot. That means you cut part of it off, you wrap it up nicely without any air getting to it, and then that's your second treat um, in a week. That's how, that's how we roll. Anybody like us? We love the fact that there's other sizes because it means two or three treats, whatever. Anyways, I've just sort of justified some of your uh, habits. I bought them this large, I bought them the large candy bar and I didn't get a treat for me because I was thinking like milkshake or something, whatever. And, uh, but we had to go home and I look over and even though I know it's not going to taste good, I'm just like, man, they're eating this chocolate. And I'm thinking, you know, I want some of that. And so I, hey, I say, hey, can I get a piece? And they, they give me that look that says no in a hundred different ways. <laughs> you know what I'm talking <laughs> that look. And out of one of their mouths, came, you can get your own treat, can't you? And I thought to myself, because in their mind, I just, they, this is theirs. And, and I thought, I bought this for you. You know, I mean, has anybody with me on this? Like, I paid for this. I am not asking to you to give me something that I didn't pay for. And I only want a piece. And reluctantly, I got that piece. I did. I'm, I'm diligent. I am. But, or manipulative, either way. It's true. That's funny, but in the same way, God does not ask us for anything that he hasn't already given to us. God, Jesus paid for our life, and he allows us to repent. He calls us to come. And so we give back to him what he's given to us. Sometimes our minds get confused and we act like our life is our own. We act like we paid for this. We act like this is ours. And so when he asks for something, occasionally we take too long in responding. And that's why we have to focus on surrender today. But surrendering isn't just presenting yourself. It's also resisting the ways of the world aggressively. Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Look at the Phillips translation. I like the way it says it. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. The world system is under the power of the enemy and it has a pattern. It has ideas, customs, behaviors, and conformity is the path of least resistance, even for the Christian. And we get seduced by that at times. 
Maybe it is that we want to gain acceptance or avoid criticism or we just enjoy comfort. I don't know the reason why that conformity is that option for us at times, that flesh desires to follow that path. But this is why so many Christians are not surrendered to God. It's because we have already yielded to the worldly ways that we are a part of. And this is why we have to learn to resist, aggressively resist the ways of the world. That doesn't mean that's our ministry. That doesn't mean that's what we do publicly. That doesn't mean that it's the most important thing. But for us personally, we have to learn to resist worldly ways so that we can stay surrendered to God. And the world is coming for you. In fact, I would say it to you this way. Our five senses, our body, our physical body that is decaying and that is dying, it's not the same thing as our born-again spirit with the nature of Christ dwelling in. Our body and all of our senses are enticed by the things of this world, loves the things of this world. Your body loves the stuff in the world. That is the conflict that we have. You shouldn't feel guilty that you're tempted. Every person here gets tempted by the ways of the world. What we feel a sense of guilt over or conviction of is when we follow that instead of Jesus. And so what do we do? We have to resist the ways of, of the world. I was thinking about a silly illustration, and to me, I don't know if it's prophetic or just weird, but um, do you ever go to like a water park? I mean, I don't, I don't love water parks for reasons like, like there's nothing about my upper body that wants to see the sun. You know, just, I mean, that's like, that's like just start there, okay? But the, so... I have nothing in me that wants to go to these types of places, but I have children and they like to go to this type of stuff. So I willingly submit myself to their youthful desires. And I've gone to many water parks, but I'll tell you what, I'm always looking for that thing called the lazy river. Does anybody know what this is? <laughs> this is, <laughs> come on, Dan. You get on, <laughs> you get on this raft and it has this subtle, gentle current that just takes you like all the way around the park. And you're just like, oh man, I love this. And some of them, if you're in an expensive bougie place, they have like these, these places that you can kind of float up to and get a beverage of some kind, you know, non-alcoholic, amen. You can get a beverage of some kind and with a little umbrella and they'll even give you an umbrella so you can shade yourself on your raft in the current doing nothing, just letting the world take you wherever the world goes. And the lazy river. You know, the lazy river is like the current of the world. If you and I don't resist, we are allowing the ways of the world to just take us wherever it does. And we're talking about all of our influences, every form of media, no matter how innocent that it might be. I mean, I don't want to get on some soapbox today, but it's so funny how people are talking against Disney now and how Disney has these ideals or ideologies and they're trying to give that to our children. Friends, that's been going on forever. You know, I mean, it's just bit, like all of this stuff, as innocent as it might be, I'm not suggesting that you don't watch a Disney movie or anything like that. You have to pray and seek God. But it's, it's, it's just funny because like anything in the world can become a medium by which it can influence us just slightly, just a little current. I would tell you today, the current has gotten a lot stronger. It's aggressive. That's why we have to be aggressive. Now, you don't often see in the lazy river somebody off their raft swimming in the opposite direction against the current. But if I could give you a very weird picture in your mind today, that's what the Christian has to do. 
is that we have to swim upstream. The current of the world is taking everybody somewhere. It can't take you there. You can't allow it to take you there. You're surrendered to God. And being surrendered to God means you have to move in the opposite direction of the default of the world. The world has a way of thinking about sexuality that's based on feelings and attractions and everything else. And we just have to be aware of that. And it is in contrast to the word of God. And this is the way it's going to be with every issue. The world has a view of life. Do whatever makes you happy. That's all that matters in life is do whatever makes you happy. I mean, you see how that doesn't say a lot of things that are pretty important. Whatever makes you happy, just do it. Because that's the most important thing in life. Well, I'll tell you, when your life is almost over, you realize that isn't the most important thing of your life, being happy, whatever happiness means. The world has a view of success, achievement, wealth, status, security. That's the goal. Build bigger barns, get more money, feel secure. This is what it's all about. Step on whoever you have to. It doesn't even have to say that. Step on whoever you have to to climb the ladder of success. Feel good about yourself so that you know that you're somebody and that you've done something in this world. And our identity gets strapped to that. Some of us in our businesses and our careers, I can honestly tell you, I have, I have felt that seduction the majority of my adult life. Doesn't mean I've succumbed to it, but there are times where you have to reorient yourself and say, I don't belong to this. And I give this to Jesus. That's why if you're a business owner, every year, every January, you should lay your business down before God and say, Lord, whatever you want, if there's something that I need to do differently, help me to know that, to treat my employees or, or whatever it might be, like it's got to be given, surrendered to God because worldly ways will take us. There is a view, there is a pattern in the world of success. There is a pattern or a view of religion and spirituality. If God is real and good, then everybody eventually is going to be with him, right? because that's what constitutes a good God. But what it doesn't say when you think through that is that we can live however we want, knowing that God's been clear. It doesn't matter what we do, what we say, we can live however we want because he's good. Even if I'm whatever I am, because of his goodness, he's gonna trump any choice that I would have and anything that I would do wrong and any attitude or disposition that I might be living in. That doesn't matter because if God's good, then his goodness in the end is all that matters. Well, his goodness also gives us an opportunity to repent. His goodness also is that the gospel has been made known to us. His goodness is that he sends missionaries all over the world. His goodness is not just that he's going to cover everything in the end, no matter what we do or think or believe. No, that's not a definition of goodness. In fact, you could say that that might be God being indifferent. You know, the opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. It's being negligent. If, if a father or a mother... It's not just that they would hate their kids, it's that they wouldn't care. And God's not like that. In his love and in his care and in his goodness and his wisdom, we know that, that, that there's a contrast to the ways of the world and the spirituality today. I talk to a lot of people that don't believe in God and I respect every person. You know, it's, I don't demonize anybody if, if they feel different. There was a time where I wasn't a Christian. And, and I did not appreciate people mistreating me or, or looking at me, looking down on me. I wanted them to love me anyways, even if I didn't agree with them. And, and there were some that did that. So praise God for that. But we, we know that there are many people out here, and I talk to them, and they have all kinds of versions of spirituality that, um, that we make up, and they feel good. And that's what the world is like out here, as you, as you might know. But we're not scared of that. I'll tell you what, when you, 
when truth is spoken, when there's clarity, it does something, though. It, 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 it doesn't... <laughs> Every now and again, I meet someone, and for whatever reason, they have this idea that if we just love people, that people will love us back. If you're just like, if, if Christians were just good Christians, then like, then everybody would, would want more of, of God. Now, there's some truth to some of that, right? We all want to be, do good deeds, and we want to do good works, and we want to share good news, and that's all, and we, be nice, amen? Come on, this should be a message, be nice. <laughs> be ye nice, as the King James would say. But, but the truth is, is that our message is not about our goodness, our message is about his perfection. Our message is that he's good, even when human beings are not, including those that name the name of Christ who are in a sanctification process. And so when I talk to people, I, I, I realize that there's a conflict. And sometimes when I share the gospel, they're not interested. But I have to believe that there are seeds that are being planted in love and, and grace because the power of the gospel is is more than my human goodness. And I thank God for that. God's word gives clarity in a chaotic world. We must resist the ways of the world, not the people in the world. There's a huge difference between the two. Satan has weapons of mass destruction, but he also has weapons of mass distraction. That's, I'm gonna preach that someday. Yeah. Amen. Sounds good, Ryan. Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Another translation says, guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Now hear this, we cannot control what comes out of us unless we guard what goes into us. Look, look at what it says, watch over your heart, watch over what comes in, for out of it flow the streams of life. That means that we're gonna have all sorts of stuff coming out of us if we're not cognizant and aware or guarding what comes in. That's just a fact. And so you have to ask the question, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Who is influencing you? Take notice of your mind, your mindset, your attitudes, those things. We've got to grab a hold of those and yield them, surrender them to the, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Several years ago, I led a man to the Lord, and uh, he was on fire. We baptized him. He got filled with the Holy Spirit. It was powerful. Um, not long after that, he ended up going to a church that was nearby my previous church. And the pastor was pretty edgy. They did all kinds of strange things. They were the largest rapidly growing church in, uh, in that region, probably in Washington State at that time, Pro probably, except for Mars Hill. That would have been a second one. But these were the two. And so he goes over to that church. He becomes best friends with the pastor, and he starts to change. Next thing you know, we start hearing the pastor is changing his view. The Old Testament is not inspired. It's not God's word. That's not really what happened. Next thing you know, God doesn't really care about how it is that we conduct our life. Human flourishing is just about being nice to people. And uh, it just became sort of this intellectual hub to um, deconstruct your faith. So as the pastor was deconstructing his faith, he was doing it publicly in front of thousands and thousands of people. And my friend became his best friend, and I noticed the effect that it had on him. And so as I'm talking to him, appealing with him to truth, I realize that he's a functioning atheist at this point, and still uh, is uh, to this day. 
the pastor started, go, started going down this road, and then he ended up becoming basically a Buddhist that likes the teachings of Jesus, and that church is nothing anymore. Thousands and thousands of people, everybody was flocking to it. It was shocking to me, though. What was shocking to me is that people were drawn to the cynical. I mean, in Seattle, we love cynicism and sarcasm. There, there are just a lot of things that you, in the South, they love falsehood and veneer. You know, it's like, bless God, hallelujah, we're all great today, and then, you know, that's not... Amen. It's got a, the Bible belt. It's got a big buckle, okay? <laughs> but, but in Seattle, there are things that we gravitate towards. And it always, it, it always amazes me, right? And so I have to submit and yield that, that critic in me, that cynical person. I'm just going to admit it to you. I unfortunately own real estate on Critical Avenue. I do. Uh, you know, Cynic Street. I, I, have to, <laughs> I have to sign over the deed and title to Jesus. I, I, and, and you could say, Ben, I'm praying for you. Please do. I'll pray for you too, because you too, we have these issues that, that crop up in, in, our, uh, in our life. And so this church became this hub of deconstruction, appealing to people that really, honestly, didn't want to look at this and, and change and grow. And I sensed that. I felt that. Because listen, when I read the Bible, I'm as uncomfortable as you are. It's supposed to be that way. <laughs> We're resisting the world. We're swimming against the current. Sometimes people are like, well, it's easy for you. It's easy for no one. It's not easy for anybody, but this is the way that we find victory and fruitfulness is that we swim against the current and surrender to God. And when we do that every day, every week, every month, we find the fruitfulness and the victory we're looking for. But there's something about knowing ahead of time. We have to resist this. And, it, and my friend, I'm sharing this because you also have to understand it creeps into churches. It creeps everywhere. Anybody will allow it to. And I saw my friend move to a functioning atheist inside of a church which is no longer a church at all. And so this is why you and I, we don't want to have our guard up in fear, but we have to have our discernment on. We've got to know the word of God. We've got to realize that we've got to resist some things that come against us. And we have to teach our children this. You've got to resist things. You can't just consume everything that, that, that comes in, into your purview. You can't just eat everything that's before you. You have to ask questions. It's like when you start to get healthy, one of the things that you do when you go to the store is you look at all of the labels that you never looked at before. You know, you used to go to Chick-fil-A or you used to go to like Subway and then you look up and you realize that Subway puts this stuff in their bread that they use for yoga mats. <laughs> and then you don't know if you can eat that sandwich anymore or whatever the CNN report was. I don't know what it was. I don't, but do you remember when that stuff came out like uh, bread has this substance that's in a... <laughs> I hope you guys have a good lunch. <laughs> On the drive home, where do you want to go for lunch? I know where I don't want to go. <laughs> Point number three, I'm just going to. We renew our mind constantly. Paul continues, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may be able to prove the will of, what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and, and perfect. Renewing our mind is how we stay surrendered long-term. We are being transformed into what? To be like Jesus. That, that's the goal. He's the pattern. That's what we're looking at. We want to be like him. So we keep Jesus in front of us, the real Jesus, the, the one that the Bible talks about, 
the, the one the Holy Spirit has convicted us. That Jesus, we keep him in front of us. He's our pattern. We're being transformed into his likeness. And so we have to renew our mind. This is an ongoing daily thing. It's constant. And so the call of repentance, which means to change the way we think and change the direction that we're headed, that's what this looks like. Renewal involves repentance. That, that's what this word even, even means. By renew, Paul does not mean a little refresh here, here and there. He's talking about a whole house renovation. We, how many of you have started down the painful path or been on this before of whole house remodel? Amen, some of you. <laughs> it's, it's a traumatic experience for some of us. In fact, I'll trigger you by just bringing it up. <laughs> it, it can be very painful because you start out thinking, I'm gonna paint a wall and I'm gonna replace the trim. And then you take the trim back and you see this black mold. And then you, <laughs> it's like black mold is just like the black plague. It's like death. <laughs> it's like, oh, there's black mold. You know, next thing you know, you have a hazmat suit on and you're pulling out carpet and you're, uh, you start out with, with a paint job. You end up with a whole house renovation and dipping into your savings and, and taking out a second mortgage. And here's the reality is that the, when I use that as an illustration to say the Lord does not just want us to paint a wall in our soul. He wants to do a whole house renovation. We wake up, he's continuing to renovate. He's working on us. We're yielding to the work of God that he's doing in, in our hearts. And, and what we cannot think is just because we're Christians that the work is already done. It's we are complete in Christ, but he is renovating. We've given him the keys. We've given him the title. We've given him the deed so that he can take up residence. He lives inside of us and he's doing a whole renovation inside of us. That's why it feels uncomfortable, right? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't it feel uncomfortable? Like God is doing something in us and the enemy's trying to stop him from working. That, that's what's going on. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said it like this, imagine yourself as a living house. God comes in to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he is doing. He, he's getting the drains right. He's stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. So he's stopping the, the bad stuff from happening. You knew that those jobs needed to be done, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably, I don't use that word, abominably, and does not seem to make any sense to you. What on earth is God up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one that you thought of. He's throwing out a new wing here. He's putting on an extra floor there. He's running up towers. He's making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace and he intends to come and live, it in, live in it himself. That's what God is doing. That's why surrender matters. Renovating our soul is more work than renovating our house. Renewing our mind is more work. If you can imagine by that illustration what it's like to renovate your home, think about that in terms of your soul. Why so little here and so much there? And we need God's help. He is at work but we need God's help to even cooperate with the work that he's doing. We need to, his help to, for us to yield. God, I need to yield. I'm having a hard time bending to, to your will. Surrendering our life to God means that we present ourselves to him. We guard from worldly thinking and we continually renew our mind to God's word or we will give ourselves over or surrender to other things. Surrender is a very important issue 
as for followers of Jesus. So here's my question to you today as we close. Are you, don't answer this, but just think about it. Are you surrendered to God? What does that mean for you? What would it mean for you to more fully yield to him today? What does it look like in your, in your life, in your practical life, your daily life? Not just conceptually. I think if I ask the question, you know, do you want God's will in your life? Everybody says yes. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say yes. But then you say, well, here's what it's going to cost. And the next thing in my mind, what I hear is, well, let me think about that. <laughs> and what, I, what it says to me is it's easy to say yes up front. But then once you realize what this is actually going to mean, we pause a little longer than we ought to, but the Lord wants to help us even with that. If you find yourself in a place where it's like you're holding back and it's not your desire, it's not your heart, it's not what you want, maybe it is that you need help. You need God to help you bend your will to his. There's a fight that we have to give up and that's a surrender itself, isn't it? Jesus is always our example and I wanted to share this as I, before I pray on the night that Jesus was betrayed, his soul was burdened with the path that was in front of him. Obviously, it's Jesus knew the price that needed to be paid, and he knew he was going to pay it. I believe that Jesus even felt in his physical body some of the pain that was set before him. I mean, we can understand that if you've ever gone in for a surgery. Ladies, before they're giving birth, there's something about your physical body. You start to feel things before the the event happens. Jesus was feeling pain in his physical body on the night that he was betrayed. And so he takes Peter, James, and John to Gethsemane. And there he leaves them and he tells them to pray. And he goes a little bit further than them. And this is what we read about. It's a window into Jesus's relationship with the Father. Mark 14, 35. And he went a little beyond them. He fell to the ground. He began to pray that if it were possible the hour might pass him by. Wow. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but whatever you will. That's the example, isn't it, right there? Jesus acknowledges the pain of staying the course. I mean, just clearly, doesn't he? In one prayer, he acknowledges the pain of staying the course for which he is called. And then the next thing out of his mouth is, but it's not what I want, it's what you want. And this to me is the picture for all of us in our homes, for our hearts, our future, everything under our care. This is the prayer. Sometimes we go through things, we're seduced by the world or tempted by the world. Other times we just simply don't want to succumb to the pain, that death that we feel, death to self. Just feels like too much. But prayer to me is the secret sauce, guys. <laughs> we need to know the word. We need to know this. But can I tell you, I, I don't have time to share about this today, but I want to close by saying Jesus went and he prayed. He prayed. How do we surrender to God? And there's not a lot of quick fixes or formulas. I pray for a lot of people, and I, I know we always in a jam, we're looking for a quick fix. We're looking for a miracle prayer. The prayer that we pray is a prayer of surrender, and then we walk out whatever it means. We got to pray a prayer of surrender. We walk out whatever it means. And so that's where we all find ourselves. Jesus is the pattern. He surrendered to the will of the Father. He calls us to do the same. So let me close by asking everyone 
If you could bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment to honor the presence of God. I want to ask a question. As we think about on the night that Jesus was betrayed, what he was about to do, he was about to give his life. Jesus was going to die, and he did die for you and for me. He did that because there is nothing in this life that we can do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love, to be forgiven. There's nothing that we in and of ourselves could do. So Jesus had to come. He had to live a perfect life. He had to die in our place. He gave his life for us. He rose from the dead to prove that he was God's son. And his invitation is the same for each one of us in this room, that if anybody puts their faith and trust or surrenders to him, gives their whole life to Jesus, we will have eternal life. That is such a powerful proposition, but it's the truth. All we have to do is surrender. That's all we have to do. So if you're here today and you're watching or you're watching online and you have not surrendered your heart to Jesus for the first time, you just haven't done it, you have not devoted the rest of your life to him, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. And I'm going to do it in two ways. The first is I'm going to ask you to raise your hand here. Say, ben, Pastor Ben, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to him today. And if there's anybody, I want you to raise your hand. Just say, Ben, that's me. I want, to ra- I, I, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I've not done it before, but today's the day. And we're going to pray after the service. I'm going to have you come up. If that's you, just go ahead and raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Yep, I see you. So that, if that's you, come up after the service, please. The second person in here, I just want to say... We start out on this path of following Jesus, but we often come to tough choices, and um, maybe it is that you verged <laughs> down a different path, and uh, as we're talking about surrender, you're just realizing that you know him, you believe in him, but you're questioning if you're surrendered to him. And I am, I'm asking you, are you surrendered to Jesus? I'm not asking you if you're perfect. Not one person can raise their hand and say, I am. We're, we're complete in Christ, but we're not in and of our behaviors per se. He's working that out with us. But are you surrendered to him or do you need to make that right today? Did you veer down a different path and today you need to get back on the right one? The Bible calls it the straight and narrow path. Do you need to surrender to him as a Christian? Lord, I surrender my will to you and I need you to do something in me. I, I even need you to help me to surrender to you. That's what I want today. If that's you, would you raise your hand today? And I just want to see it. I want to pray for you. Just raise your hand. Keep it up for a moment. Just keep it up if that's you. There's several of you. Is there anybody else? Say, Ben, that's me. I I need you to pray for me today. Thank you for your honesty. Right now, we're going to pray. Father, I thank you for everyone raising their hand. We thank you for all that you're doing. I pray, God, in that place of surrender, Uh, that, Lord, there would be a a divine exchange. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill every single person that had their hand up and that you would help them, Lord, just as the scriptures say, present themselves to you. And the raising of the hand is step one, but, Lord, I pray that even now that you would lead them to prayer, lead them to the word, lead them to what surrender looks like. And I thank you, Lord, for the honesty of their heart. Your word says you give grace to the humble. Would you now release grace that will give them the ability to obey? to respond, to continue to respond and to do as you're asking. Father, bless them, we pray. Strengthen them in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, will you stand and let me share something with you before you do? I know it's like the preacher that has five closes in his sermon, but uh, I'm not ashamed of that.
Um, I prayed before the service and I felt like I had some words of knowledge. If you're not familiar with that, we believe the Lord speaks by his spirit. Um, he doesn't change eternal truth, but he gives us practical prophetic words for today. And I just had two things I want to share before you leave. Number one, I prayed for somebody and I just sensed this. Um, you're here today and you're going through, you're going back and forth about your future career and the location um, of where you're going, supposed to be. And I, in this vision, I saw all these people speaking to you about what that should look like or could look like. And, and um, they were influencing you. And I heard the Holy Spirit just simply, and it was a thought really, give this to the Lord. You may be concerned um, that he might not say what you want, but he will tell you what you need to hear. And if that's you today, you're concerned about giving something like this to the Lord because you, you know he might say something that you don't want to hear. That is a window into the fact that you need to just give this over to the Lord. Friends, it is always best to do what God says, even when we have that hesitation, even when it's different from what we want. It's always best, always. The second person, and this might sound like there's an agenda because I'm a pastor and we're in a church, <laughs> but if you would extend trust to me that I wouldn't do that to you, and I try my best to not do that. I, I, I'll try not to fail in that. Uh, commit to a church community. You need to commit. I, I, I'm not even saying here, but you're here today and you need to commit to a church community and become the disciple that you were meant to be. You just haven't fully done that yet and it is stunting your spiritual growth and the Lord has many blessings for you and you're gonna find it in your commitment. You know, I go to Planet Fitness, I told you four times a week and I asked the guy and he told me there are 10,000 people that subscribe almost to each and every Planet Fitness and you look around and there's 50 people working out. It's not enough even just to go to the gym. You can subscribe to the gym, you can go to the gym but friends, how many of you know you got to get on some machines and start working out if you're going to have any benefit? I want to tell you what, the same is true for church. We're not called to just be here or say we're part of one. And this is no guilt trip. I am telling you, as we commit ourselves and begin to work out our salvation with other people, the benefits start to come. That's the reality of it. And so I want to charge you. There's somebody and you just know that's you. I don't know what it means. And I'm not even saying it has to be here. But as you commit yourself, God has already committed himself by his power to bring forth a fruitfulness that you're supposed to have. And I wanna see that happen. The body of Christ needs it. And so follow him in this. Father, thank you for whoever that is. Lord, we receive your word, not ours. We ask for your fruit and your victory. And we thank you for it today. Help us to lead a life of surrender, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org, or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.